Well, good evening, you radical folks, you. Holy cow. I don't know of too many other places outside of Rivers, Riverside Community Church that people be out tonight. In fact, I've got to head to Chicago when this is finished. I'm dropping my son off at Moody tomorrow for orientation. And um, I called just to be sure. And I guess John was standing right next to the secretary or whatever. And uh, we're going to have it no matter what, right? John made real clear. It doesn't matter how low the temperature goes. So, okay, I'll be there. But it kind of reminded me, you know, really as pastors go, John, I don't think if it was up to us, we'd ever close the doors, right? I mean, we just, we start thinking about what's best for people if they got to cut through the snow and walk through the cold, all that type of stuff, right? Pastors want to be there. But it reminded me of a guy because I, I, I thought, well, at least John's going to be there. Hopefully there's one more. And uh, it reminded me of a guy that got to church one morning because it was so bad, only one person showed up. He's a farmer, you know, this guy was a farmer, but uh, the pastor said, you know what? Nobody else has showed up, so we're just going to close the doors and go home. And I mean, this farmer gave that pastor a lecture. He said, pastor, I'm a farmer. He said, I got a bunch of cows out there. Comes feeding time and only one shows up. I don't turn him away. I feed him. All right. So I mean, the pastor heard it. And he laid the wood on that guy that day. I mean, they worshiped for an hour and a half. He gave a half-hour devotional. They worshiped for another half hour. Then he preached for two hours. Bears game was nearly over by the time he got done. And uh, so he was standing there at the door, middle of the afternoon, right? He shook his hand. He said, now, how do you like that? This farmer said, Pastor, if only one cow shows up, I don't feed him the whole load of hay. <laughs> well, we're going to feed you a little bit tonight, all right? You all right for that? And uh, I don't know exactly what's been going on the last few nights, but I know you're talking about uh, putting God first, first things first. And how many of you know that... Uh, you know, it's, it, it's something I think as a pastor I have to learn over and over and over again. But I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning. And that's that nothing much matters anywhere in life. No success, no amount of success matters. Actually, no amount of pain really affects you as much if you're just keeping in that secret place with Jesus and loving him is just the first thing in your life. How many of you know when, uh, you know, that really the strength of your life is the strength of your secret place with him? And you get away from that secret place, and you can get taken out awful quickly. And I can only tell you my stories. I know John has his stories. Every pastor has his stories. And I'm sure everyone sitting in the pew have their stories. But uh, we, we get some of those days, pastors get some of those days that just seemed that they were designed in hell. Right? And it's just kind of hard to figure out what you're supposed to do with them. And uh, I, I, I had one not long, uh, a couple of years ago, that anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And the only thing 
that changed that was that it flipped to a new day. Several years ago, I, I, I had this day I was telling you about. I, I was crunched for time because I was going to be heading to Brazil in the morning. I was going to be gone for several days of leadership training. It was going to be an exciting trip. So I was going to be traveling with another well-known leader, and we were going to be doing church uh, leadership all across uh, these some of the major cities there. I had a son coming home from college the day after, or the very day that I was leaving. I wanted to make sure everything was in line for him to get home. Now he had his own car and everything. We just needed to make sure everything was ready to go. I had to make sure my wife had everything in order for my being gone and, and, and this type of thing. But you know, when you're getting ready to go, you've got a list of things you want to check off. Check, 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 check. So I'm, I'm focused. Don't bother me. I've got this deal to, to handle today. I'm about ready to go out the door in the morning and I get a call from my daughter in Indianapolis. Dad, I can't get the shower water to turn off. And I'm like, and what do you want me to do about it? I probably wouldn't know what to do about it if I were there. What am I supposed to do? I got to get to work and all this type of thing. And I said, you know what, Catherine? She said, I've tried to call uh, the... the, um, Manager of the apartment wasn't in yet, all this type of stuff. I said, you know what, Catherine, it probably won't uh, float the, the apartment or anything. If you just let it run, go to work, keep calling. When the, when the manager gets there, you can let it, you know, once you get a hold of him, he'll have somebody go up there, take care of it, whatever. Okay, but I'm, I'm like, okay, so I'm just, not a big thing, but I'm carrying a little bit of that. I wonder if my daughter's going to get that thing taken care of. I wonder if I should be calling in, checking in, just making sure, you know, all this type of thing. I got to work and we were in the middle of a time in our church where uh, we were, we, we tend to believe a little more like uh, Riverside than some other churches. I'm not criticizing other churches. I'm just saying when you've grown up in a evangelical subculture that doesn't believe Jesus does miracles and that the gifts of the spirit are still at work, it's kind of a hard thing to convince people who have only heard that that stuff's of the devil. And for some reason, I felt like I could no longer uh, hide what I truly believed about that. Not that I had been trying to hide it. I was just trying to steer the church gently. But you know how when you finally decide we got to go, well, there are plenty of people saying, well, then we're going to go. And that day was filled with those kinds of conversations. People just, you know, it it tears your heart up because you feel like, holy cow, I've been here. 17 years, I've tried to honor the Lord. I think I've walked honorably before him. I think the people who are leaving would say that, and yet they can't trust your heart and go with you. It's painful, John. You know that. And you try, you know, I don't want to be offended. How many of you know that when somebody's offense against you becomes an offense in you, you've been deceived? You got that one? When somebody's offense against you becomes an offense in you, you've been deceived. I don't, want to, I don't want to walk with their offense. But you have to do your work cutting that stuff off, cutting that stuff off. Cutting, Lord, I just want to walk in love. just want to walk in love. I want, I want to just love people that, that, that can't, can't go with me anymore. That was my day. And so as I was heading home, I was thinking would be just a great night on the back patio. It's middle of May, beautiful weather. 
I talked to my wife, why don't we just do some burgers on the, the grill and just have a quiet night out back before I take off tomorrow. That'd be great. I pulled in the drive. Our family van is sitting there. And the tire on the front driver's side is flat. And this is one that you got to go get fixed because otherwise you can drive around on a donut. You know, one of those little donuts. And, and I'm going... Can't have my wife driving around with a donut for the next week and a half while I'm gone. So, doggone it, i got to get that thing fixed somehow before I take off, right? And I'm, that's, that's on my mind. I'm, my, my heart's not in a very good place as I come through the door. And it wasn't that I was, it, it wasn't like I said it in an angry way or anything. But sometimes, you know, when you come through the door, it's like, honey, how you doing? I'm home, you know. This one was, open the door. Hon, did you know we got a flat on the front of the van? She didn't answer, and I heard her talking to somebody in the kitchen. So I come around the corner, and this is what I hear. And your car is upside down? Here, talk to your dad. <laughs> now, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, but I, I got a pretty good idea. This day's just about ready to go a little further south. And sure enough, I get on the phone with my son, the one, the college student, Jonathan, who's finishing up his freshman year of Tacoa Falls, going to be heading home the next day while I'm heading to Brazil, remember? I was hoping maybe he was calling to find out whether Catherine ever got her water turned off in the morning, you know. No such luck. He was calling to inform me that he had just parked his car on a hill out behind the chapel while on his way to some banquet at school. We had told him, park that car and walk to where you're going on that campus, Right? Well, he's late to this banquet that night, so he drove his car like the 50 yards that he needed to to get there, parked that sucker on a hill. And while he was walking in the door, they all heard this huge crash out in the woods. And a lady says, it wasn't funny. <laughs> lady says, I, I think somebody's car just rolled down that hill and out in the woods and Jonathan turned around and was kind of like yeah it'd be bad news for whoever that was right you know? and as he looks I think that was my car it was one of the greatest lessons he learned at college and that is when you park your car on a hill leave it at neutral and don't pull the emergency brake, bad things happen. So his car had rolled right down the hill, flipped over as it went into this ditch and ended up on its top in between all these trees. I'm just trying to imagine it. Remember, I'm just trying to have a quiet little night on my back patio. We've got to get a crane to get this lifted out. I, I, I'm just trying. How, what do we got to do? I don't know. And uh, he's on, I, I said, Jonathan, what I want you to do right now is, is call a police officer. Get him on the case. You're probably going to have to get somebody, uh, some uh, crew over there that has the ability to lift that thing out or whatever. But talk to a police officer first. Call me back because I want to talk to the police officer. Because now, do you see, you see where I'm going? I'm leaving tomorrow. He had wheels to get home. Now I don't know whether he does or not. Because I don't know how bad the car is. 
said, have the police officer call me, please. So that's what was going on when we sat down for our nice little meal out back. <laughs> I still remember we, we were eating when the officer called. And my question to him was, uh, sir, do you know whether it's total or can you drive the thing still? And he got that old southern drawl. He said, well, I don't know if it's total, but I think there's some top damage. <laughs> I thought, you think there's some top damage? It's laying on his top down there in the ditch. We found out later, every window in the car was broken. Top was all caved in. Yeah, it was absolutely total. And uh, sometimes you don't know whether you're to laugh, to cry, or you try, Lord, what are we... What? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And so that news came just before we were to sit down and eat dinner that night. And as I prepared to thank God for the food, at least my grill worked. Didn't burn the burgers. But what came out was, I, I stopped and I almost started laughing while I was praying. I, I said, Lord, this has been such an unbelievable day. I don't even know what to say. But I do know I need you to just hold my heart real close right now. And keep me encouraged. And it was interesting that by the time we were done with the meal, we were laughing. We had gotten a little bit of perspective that, you know, even if the car had gone off the cliff, at least Jonathan wasn't in it. I mean, we were thinking all these, you know, even if the shower wouldn't turn off, at least the drain worked. It didn't float the apartment. Even if the van had a flat, at least it was in the driveway and not sitting out in the middle of the... Right? You start finding all those little things. But it occurred to me while I was praying, this is exactly why intimacy with Jesus needs to be the priority of our lives. There are always those events in life, however they might come to us, that can at any moment sabotage our hearts. And if the secret place with God has not been the place of sustaining grace in our lives, guys, we're not going to be a match for what happens. That is one the church needs to learn in these days. Because, guys, trouble's coming. I believe there's going to be a day that persecution comes to our shores. Do I have a secret place with God that is, has the ability to sustain no matter what? Or am I going to be one of those that the Bible says because of the intensity of those days, the love of many will grow cold, many will fall away? If our hearts have not been anchored, first of all, in intimacy with Jesus, period, then we will lose heart when a flood of negative events conspire against us. The enemy will sabotage our hearts, steal our joy, take us out. In fact, I thought my day was bad until I read this great little book a few months ago called The Presence. I'm getting to a point where I need my readers. 
I think this guy. I, I think this guy actually is an assembly's pastor. His name's Alec Roland. I didn't know him, but it's a great little book. He pastored, and uh, God used him in a mighty way. In um, oh, it's a little town in Iowa. Actually, had like a revival in Cedar Rapids. Church grew amazingly. Had to build a big structure right in the middle of this. He tells the story in the book of why it's so important that we have a word from God that will sustain us when the going gets tough. And he he has an incredible story of how God led them right in the middle of a great ministry that they didn't want to leave to Eugene, Oregon. He pastors a place called, uh, or I'm sorry, it's Edmonds, Oregon, but uh, he pastors a place called Westgate Chapel today. Listen to this story of having gotten to this church, having left one that he didn't want to leave, but having a clear directive of God. He wasn't really enjoying that ministry all that much, but he said it came to a head in 1997. The hardest year of my life, it started with someone driving a truck through the front doors of the church in the early hours of Sunday morning. You guys had that happen here yet? Vandalizing the lobby and leaving broken glass and furnishings to be cleaned up before services. Then within weeks, the custodians put out an attempted arsonist fire that was started in the sound booth just before they left the building late one Saturday night. A few months later, our landscaper was stabbed to death while mowing the church lawn. Then, if you can believe it, bomb threats canceled services in late summer. Then we had a painful and divisive staff departure. And finally, in the early hours of time change Sunday, this all happened in the same year, I received a call from someone who lived close to the church informing me that the entire church building was on fire and there were four fire trucks in the parking lot fighting to keep the church from being totally destroyed. I love his honesty here. He says, I remember standing in the parking lot that morning looking at more than half of our campus in charred ruins. I was cold, afraid, tired, and deeply discouraged. We spent the next few weeks finding temporary facilities for the church's various ministries, using a nearby school auditorium for Sunday services, and trying to reassure a shaken congregation that we would make it through. But deep down in my soul, the year had taken its toll. I was convinced I was finished in pastoral ministry. If not for my concern to try to hold together our frightened congregation, I would have resigned right then and there. I would have been happy doing just about anything else as long as it was as far removed from pastoral ministry as possible. Guys, I'm just telling you, when things are good, you don't realize how close to the breaking point you are at any moment. There's not a one of us who stand in our own strength. This is why I believe every church leader, and I've preached this to pastors, so I'll start with us. 
But every church leader's number one job, every pastor's number one job, every Christ follower's number one job is to keep your own heart encouraged in the Lord. To keep the fire of passion for Jesus aflame in your heart. In fact, I want to just give you a, a verse in the New Testament, and then we're going to look at a, a couple passages, or a, a, a rather obscure passage in the Old Testament. But you'll be familiar with Romans 12 and verse 11. I want to just call your attention to a couple things from this great verse. Romans 12, verse 11, says, Never... Be lacking in zeal. Now, I've studied Greek about four years, and that word never is a very special word, and it literally means never. Not some of the time. Not when things are good, it's okay to slack off. Never be lacking in zeal, but look at what it goes on to say then. But keep your spiritual fervor. The words there literally mean keep the fire of your heart burning. Serving the Lord. The never means, take it real seriously here, guys. You can't afford to let this slide. But I always ask when I read this, whose job is it to keep my heart on fire? It's mine. It's never anybody else's fault if the fire in my heart has dwindled. Have you owned that responsibility for yourself? Keep your spiritual fervor, your heart on fire. Know what it takes. Know what that secret place is for you. John's a great preacher and a great leader. If I wasn't pastoring that church, I'd be following this man. But let me tell you something. It's not John's responsibility to keep my fire lit. See, some people want the pastor to do for them what only Jesus can do. My work is to fire you up enough to get you to Jesus. But it's not to be Jesus to you. Your number one job is to tend the fire of your heart. Tend the fire, tend the fire, tend the fire. Just as the stewardess has to remind us before every flight, in the event of emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first, then you'll be able to assist others. So the Lord says the secret to igniting others is to get your own mask on first. Now just as the Old Testament tabernacle and altar with its holy place and holy holies now parallels... We understand that was a shadow paralleling the heart of the believer, right? Where's the, where the, if I ask you, where's the Holy of Holies right now? It's my heart, right? It's where the Spirit of God dwells, the Holy of Holies. 
The holy place would represent my soul. The outer, you know, garden, the outer courts, my body. But with that understanding, listen to this. We would do well to pay attention to God's instruction given to, uh, given to the priests in Leviticus 6 and verse 12. Because who are the priests today? We are, people of God. Look at Leviticus 6 and verse 12. I'm pretty sure this is not one anybody has memorized. And if you have a hard time finding Leviticus, I always say, go to the real clean pages of your Bible. (laughs) Up there near the front. Look at what this says. This is talking about the Holy of Holies, the, the, the work in the tabernacle and the holy place. Leviticus 6.12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Do you see the parallel? The fire on the altar must not go out. But now look at this. Every morning. Now some people say, well, I'm not a morning person. Well, that's fine. Best time to have your secret place with God is when you're at your best. But I can tell you this. If we're going to play a concert, we're going to tune up the band and everything else, you tend to tune the instruments before the concert, not after. So if you're not a morning person, you might want to try to become a little bit of one, right? Because this is every morning. The priests. Who are the priests? Look at this. Every morning... The priest is to add firewood. Again, make make sure you get that every, because again, I'm a Hebrew scholar, and that word literally means every. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood. That really talks about the kindling of the Word of God there. Add the firewood. Arrange the burnt offering on the fire. Now we're being reminded of the, the blood sacrifice that takes away my sin and coming before that, that cross and being reminded... Morning by morning by morning, I have fellowship with God through that burnt offering. But here's what's really interesting. I've underlined this in my Bible. So you, you add the firewood, you arrange the burnt offering on the fire, and here's what God's after. Burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. Do you, do you hear what God is saying? Every morning, I want you to burn the fat of fellowship with me. I want you to give me a fellowship offering. And then he says again, verse 13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Guess what's going to keep that fire going? The fat of the fellowship offering. We'll keep the fire burning. And God's word to us, you want to put first things first? Tend the fire. Tend the fire. Tend the fire. Every morning. Every morning. Every morning. I'm looking for you, dear one, my son, my daughter, precious, loved. Make the first thing. 
your fellowship with me. And everything else will take care of itself. Now, I'm an activistic leader. I like to, I like to take action. Listen to me. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. God's showing me some things. And I've never been one who really neglected the, the secret place. But I've taken it to a new level. Because, you know, John and I both have had a measure of success in ministry. Can I tell you something? You let the secret place go, and that success will not, that success will not sustain your heart. You'll find yourself, even while stuff is going on, going, this isn't cutting it. Because I'm nowhere near where I need to be with Jesus right now. Can I tell you something else? I've been where I needed to be with Jesus, and there wasn't much going on as far as ministry-wise. And I could say, boy, I wish something was going on, but you know what? I do have the better part. And you know what's going to happen, guys? Here's, here's, what I want to know. here's what I want you to know. You, you, you take care of the fire on the altar. You take care of the fire on the altar. You, you take care of the secret place with God. You, you build depth and stamina and strength in the secret place with God. And you, won't, you won't have to tell people about it. They'll, people will be able to know. They'll, they'll know something's going on there. December 10, uh, uh, we, we had a wonderful uh, Southern, I'm a big Southern gospel fan, you know, we, we had the Jubilee Christmas. Legacy Five Quartet, Booth Brothers, Greater Vision. These guys are three of the best in Southern Gospel music. Come together and do about a two-hour concert. And uh, I was going to head out early to get a, a workout in so I could get over and hang out with the guys a little bit. I've gotten to know some of them, and they're good friends. And the one guy I just met, he's pretty famous. Everybody knows him. He's won just about every award there is to win in gospel music. We were sitting there talking about 2 o'clock, about 3, I was going to head out. But there were some things. It, 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 it felt like in some of the things we were talking about that God just took it to a level where something holy was happening. And we were talking about gospel singers facing the same reality. You know, they're just singing the gospel. It's the same thing for people preaching the gospel. But sometimes I think singers forget. You cannot... Just getting up and singing every night, independent of the fire on the altar, is not going to sustain you. It's an occupational hazard. You cannot get up and try to preach to other people and sing to other people a reality that you do not have in your own heart. You will be preaching under condemnation. You will be singing under condemnation, trying to tell people, you know, Jesus Christ can change your life, and you'll be hearing the voice of the enemy. Boy, isn't it great how much he's changed you? Because you're not changed. I was just saying, brothers, it's time for all of us. There's no game plan. If you stand on that stage... Let it come out of the fire on the altar. And people will know the difference. I got up to leave. And one of the guys I had just met followed me out. Stopped me and said, can I talk to you for a little bit? 
I said, sure. We went down to my office, and I never didn't get my workout in. For two hours, I was doing deliverance ministry for that brother, getting him free from all kinds of bondage in his life. And he told me, I've been ready to quit because I know I'm standing on a stage. It's like I can flip. How many of you know the gifts, spiritual gifts will work even independent of how sharp your character is? And the lie of the enemy is, see, it doesn't matter how close you're living to Jesus. You can just flip the switch and it'll happen. That's what Samson thought. And there's that line there, the sad epitaph in his ministry, he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. I don't necessarily worry about the Spirit of God leaving the believer who's not living in that place with God, but what I am saying, there will come a time where the crash will happen if we decide we're going to minister in pretense. And we're going to try to make people think we're living closer to that fire than what we are. We're not beholding the face of God, but we're telling everybody what he looks like. I'm now in a discipleship relationship with that young man. He's got a lot more steps to take. But I'm telling you what, I know this. There's going to be some stuff coming through him in a new way. And he's able to stand in the assurance of his calling today. Now he said, he said, I've, I've just been thinking about just getting out because Kelly kills me, kills me to stand on that stage and sing to people and make them believe that something is true in my life. That's not, I said, you know what, then why don't we make it true rather than walking away? Now, the interesting thing to me is that I don't believe that that divine orchestration of events would have happened had I been faking it. There was something in that moment about the reality and the depth that was taking place. I'm not, I'm not saying that about me. I'm just saying there was something of God on that that he was going, there's a reality there that I don't have. I want that, I want that, I want that. That's exactly why God wants you to behold his face first thing. Every morning, every morning, every morning. Tend the fire, tend the fire, tend the fire, tend the fire. And he's going to take you to places and he's going to take you to people where people are going, i got to have that, got to have that, got to have that. How many of you know people who know they're, particularly if they're believers and know they're not beholding the face of God and they know they're not living where they need to be, they're not looking for somebody to come up and do sin management with them. Church has done sin management long enough. They want somebody who knows the power of God who can get them free and who's walking that way themselves. The regular temptation of pastors is to love the ministry, to love ministry impact, to love broad ministry influence, to love a growing ministry, 
And to be sure there is nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, we should pray for those kind of things. The subtle danger comes when our relationship with Jesus becomes primarily a means to that end. I pray because I need Jesus to strengthen me to do my ministry. I pray and study the Bible because I want Jesus to anoint my message. I seek him because I want Jesus to increase my impact and my influence, and without realizing it, I can easily make him a means to my ministry end. That's not why he called me to come follow him. Because he wanted to be a means to an end. See, it's, when it becomes that, it's no longer primarily about just being in a love relationship with him. I, I, the only reason I'm in ministry today is because there was a day I fell deeply in love with Jesus. I had no idea what he wanted me to do. I didn't really even care what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to clean toilets the rest of my life. I'd clean toilets the rest of my life. But one day, bless God, in a very clear moment, he called me, audible voice call, I want you to preach the God. That's the only reason I'm doing this. I got in it because I just loved Jesus. I wouldn't have cared if I just preached to two people the rest of my life. Oh, but then you realize how great it is to preach to 200. Wow, it really becomes exciting when it's 2,000. Pretty soon it's just not about loving him first. I just love what he does for me. Guys, and it's not just pastors, trust me, it's not just pastors who can fall into that temptation. Any of us can be guilty of using Jesus as a means to an end. I come to him because I want his peace. I come to him because I want his power. I come to him because I want his protection. I come to him because I want his provision. And indeed, he promises all those things, but all of those things are still things. He wants us to love intimacy with him because we simply love him, period. And nothing in all the world is worth it if we don't have him. Nothing. And no lack. It really bothers me if I do have him. I've chosen the better part. Some of you here tonight might be discouraged. You've worked hard. Nobody seems to appreciate it. My word to you would be tend the fire. The very fact that you're feeling it, the lack of appreciation, means maybe that's risen above the appreciation of the Father. Tend the fire. Get on your face with him. You've got all that you need. Love him with all your heart. There's no limits to how much you can love him and the appreciation that's going to come from his throne if you get in his presence. 
Some of you are discouraged because the fruit isn't what you'd hope. Tend the fire. Some of you uh, have had your hearts taken out by hurt and criticism and pain. Tend the fire. Some of you are laboring through your own deep hurt and personal heartache. Tend the fire. The enemy is lurking and the attacks are coming against you. Tend the fire. Some of you may be coming off a raging season of success of one kind or another. Tend the fire. I take it as axiomatic in ministry for all of us that when God wants to ignite a fresh work, he first ignites the hearts of his people. He ignites the hearts of his leaders. The point is we got to tend the fire. It's only intimacy with Jesus that can sustain us through the ups and downs of ministry and the ups and downs of life, in season and out of season. Tend the fire. It's only by being much in his presence that we discover the confidence that comes only from dependency upon him, the power that comes only through humility before him, and the passion that comes only through intimacy with him. Tend the fire, which means we're going to have to give the cultivation of the secret place top priority in our calendar and our schedules. Bob Sorge God's used this man to minister to my heart. But he writes, this is the place where the incubation of intimacy is facilitated. Listen to this. You can't garner intimacy on the run. You must stop, pull up a table, lay out the bread and the cup, and dine with him and he with you. Oh, it's great to enjoy his presence while driving to work in the morning. He would want us to enjoy his presence while driving to work in the morning. But if your commute to work is the totality of your secret place, then you will lack depth of connection in your intimacy with Jesus. And you won't have the reserves that you need when life comes and tries to take you out. You've been trying to do intimacy on the run. I don't doubt that you can worship Jesus and stay close to him any place, any time. But intimacy is born with meeting him someplace, sometime. Bob goes on to talk about a time where he had to be laid aside in ministry for a while. He was a worship leader and lost his voice. Be like a pastor not being able to preach. You find out then what's sustaining you. But he had to be laid aside because what had begun to sustain him in ministry without him realizing it was the rush of ministry accomplishment. I love this. He says, God showed him, Bob, one day he spoke to him in that quiet place. He said, Bob, you treat me like a gas station. You come to me to fill up when you need it. But your real love is to drive. You don't come to me because I'm the first love of your heart. You come to me to get recharged so that you can go out and pursue the first love of your heart. 
I read that and it crushed me. And I said, Lord, whatever you got to do. You take me back to a place and you keep me in a place where my love for you and my intimacy with you is the priority of my life. I love the rush and adrenaline of ministry accomplishment as much as anybody. But I think that's the very reason that God will sometimes take us into a ministry desert, a season where it seems that our best efforts are empty, to remind us again of the barrenness of ministry accomplishment if we've allowed the fire of our love for Jesus to dwindle. So let me ask you, what do you want more than him? What does your calendar say? What does your schedule say? So guys, can I challenge you to do something for the next week or two coming off of this time? I find that sometimes it's, it's, it's posture that slows me down. There's a reason why the word for worship, proskuneo, means to kiss. It's to bend down and Bend the knee and kiss his feet. It's a beautiful picture. But can I encourage you somewhere over the next week or two, make it a pattern in your life because then it will start to become a pattern and you'll feel how posture brings about a correcting of the heart. When somewhere in your secret place with God each day, Come into his presence on your knees. Get in your secret place and get down on your knees and say, Lord, I want to live this day even when I'm out running around. I want to live this day in this posture. I want you to know I can't make it without you. I want to be burning with love for you. I want fellowship with you to be the first thing of every day. I, I, I always say, don't, 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 don't run into your day until you've crawled into his presence. Tend the fire. Burn the fat of the fellowship offering first thing every morning. Guys, it's the only thing. It's the only thing that's going to build a depth in your life that will sustain you. Come what may. And when other people are falling away, you'll still be standing. Because you put first things first. I want you to just bow your head and your heart as we close tonight. And I thought maybe for some of you, the commitment tonight at the end of this time is just to come to the altar again. Get on your knees. And say, Lord, from here on out, 
I'm going to get it right. First things first. I'm going to burn the fat of the fellowship offering. I'm going to tend the fire. I'm never going to be lacking a zeal. I'm going to keep the fire burning, serving you. Maybe some of you are already there. This isn't a a test. If you sit there at your seat, maybe you just get on your knees at your seat. But I think it would be great if somebody tonight just see your commitment and say, Lord, I'm going to love you first of all, no matter what.